Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back on the College Football Survivor Show. Shahan, we are doing something today that all sports writers should do more of, which is go back and call out our errors. And we aren't afraid to do that here on the College Football Survivor Show. So we are drafting here in April sure things for the 2023 college football season. And we are going to apply the same standards that we applied when we did this last October. In mid-October, I believe it was an episode that came out on October 18th. We did it in the middle of the season, and we still had virtually no handle on what the real sure things were in college football. The scoring system that we set up back then was you get a point for a team making its conference championship game. You get another point if they win the conference championship game. You get another point if they make the playoff. You get another point if they win the national championship. So the most you can get is four Georgia got four. We drafted 20 teams, Shahan, under that point system. Would you like to guess what the final score was from Team Shahan versus Team Doug in our draft last October? Okay, so it was a point for making it, a point for for winning the conference championship game, a point for the playoff, right, you said? Yes, one point for the playoff, yep. Okay, so I would assume that, like, on average, we're – Talking something like, ooh, I, I, I'd assume that we're somewhere in the low 20s. Is that where we're at? We are not. So so, so the overall point total, like a two is good, right? You pick the team that won its conference championship. There's only 10 conferences, right? So there's only, only 10 twos to be had. There's only, two, there's only two teams that got more than two because we had two teams that did not win its their conference championship make the playoff in TCU and Ohio State. So only Michigan and Georgia got more than two. And I will just say, you can probably guess one of the reasons that I wanted to revisit this is because I crushed you. So <laughs> the final score was Doug, Team Doug, 18, Team Shahan, six. Six. Oh, my gosh. So that was a bit of a rough one for you. There were 10, 10 conference champions, right? I drafted seven of the 10 conference champions. You drafted one and two of them we didn't draft and the 20 teams we drafted. So I'm going to run through the draft order from back then. Again, this is mid-October. This is mid-October. We have like, all right, half the season under us. Let's get a handle on this. The number one pick in the draft by these rules was by you, and it was Ohio State. And Ohio State got one point for you because they did not make the Big Ten Championship. They did not win the Big Ten Championship, but they made the playoffs. So they got one point. Then I picked Clemson second, who got two. They did win the ACC. We didn't pick Georgia until third. So national champ Georgia was the third pick. You picked Tennessee and Alabama fourth and fifth. They got you zero. Then I went to my group of five strategy, and I have to say I nailed it. I picked Toledo, got me two points winning the MAC. I picked your guys in at UTSA, got me two points for winning Conference USA. Then you picked USC. They did make the Pac-12 championship game. Then you picked your only conference champ that, champion that you got, which was Kansas State. <laughs> Kansas State was our first Big 12 team off the board at pick nine. You know who we did not pick in 20 picks? TCU! 
did not get picked. We picked Texas. We picked Oklahoma State. We picked Kansas State, which you got two points for. We did not pick TCU. Shahan, that's how hard it was to get a handle on the season. We were not yet believing in TCU in mid-October. Yeah, I mean, what, when you say that we picked Texas, I assume that means that you picked Texas, right? I picked <laughs> come Texas. On, come I on, come on. I would not have picked Texas. I picked Texas <laughs> before I picked Michigan. So again, I'm such a genius. <laughs> Michigan was the 18th pick in this draft. And the 19th pick was Utah. They were my last two picks. I got five total points out of them. I got the Big Ten champ and the Pac-12 champ with picks 18 and 19 in this draft. We are going to replicate this exercise here in April, Shahan. The point is we're trying to find sure things now. Sometimes you don't even know the sure things in a college football season until they're staring you in the face in mid-October. And maybe there aren't that many sure things because TCU was not a sure thing until mid-November, and even then you weren't so sure. And I guess that's a good thing about the sport, right? Because there would have been years where we would have said, hey, who are you picking? Oh, Alabama's the number one pick. Correct, four points. And we're not really there right now. No, and I mean, even you want to talk about Georgia, the reigning national champions at the time, they were not the number one pick, right? We we had multiple teams that we thought could compete with Georgia, and history is not going to remember it this way, but we also have to remember George was a missed field goal away from not winning the title, right? Like there's a lot of things that happen along the way that, that impact this. And I actually think this is a great exercise. Like you said, to, to realize that there aren't very many sure things in the sports. So in the end, we did draft the five teams that won the five power conferences. We did manage to draft them. I drafted both, Tulane and Cincinnati out of the American. You drafted UCF. So Tulane beat UCF in the American Championship game. We had both those teams. I drafted Toledo, the MAC champ, and I drafted UTSA. We did not draft Troy, who won the Sun Belt. What happened was you drafted South Alabama, and we both said that's a great pick. And then two days later, Troy went to South Alabama and won 10 to 6. <laughs> and they wound up tying in their division, and Troy won the tiebreaker. So right, Troy right, went on. Right. So we did not have that. And I picked Boise State in the Mountain West. They lost the conference championship game to Fresno State, who we did not pick. So that's how we went through that. That was a little look at the history. And we're going to try it again now. Instead of drafting 20 teams, we're going to draft 10. And I will tell you, you know what I had trouble with trying to do this? Trying to figure out who's in what conference. <laughs> do you know this? You're a national college football writer, I, I right? I do know this, whatever it is. Do you know this? I don't. I learned it nine minutes ago. There are going to be nine teams in Conference USA in 2023. Last year, there were 11. From a year ago, there are six teams gone. There are four new teams in, and there are only five teams that remain. The only teams that remain in Conference USA are Western Kentucky, who finished 6-2 and two in conference last year, Middle Tennessee, who was four and four, UTEP, who was three and five, and Louisiana Tech and FIU, who reached two and six. So I went to look to see, oh, who do I, is there maybe a Conference USA team that I should pick? And I was like, I don't even know who's in this conference. How can I do this? Yeah, uh, the the funny thing, right? So originally 14 teams in Conference USA two years ago, 
three of them like fight to leave early and join the Sun Belt last year. That's I believe Southern Miss, Old Dominion, and Marshall all were in, in the Sun Belt last year. Uh, the other six teams, like you mentioned, leaving for the American this year, and then they add four teams, two of whom are moving up from FCS. So, you know, I, I mean, listen, I. I love every conference equally. Uh, this is not going to probably be the most special Conference USA season of our entire life. And the other thing, too, there was all this conversation about Conference USA having uh, a Final Four team, the team that won the NIT, and the team that won the CBI. All three of them are leaving. None of them are back in Conference USA this upcoming season. So, yeah, uh I, I actually do think that there might be a pretty decent conference USA bet, but it may be more for a uh, maybe more for a ten team draft than a five team draft. So, and, and then even like a team like UTSA, right? Which I won on last year. Now they're going to be in the yep. American. Yep, yep. So, like the some of the there's there's so much movement that it's hard to get your hand around it. So we might dip into there, as you said. We're only drafting ten teams, not twenty, so maybe not. But but the the real thing here that is interesting to me is I was just looking you know everybody has their the very very early top twenty fives in the off season and I think I saw somebody's top twenty five where the top six teams were three teams from the Big Ten and three teams from the SEC so it's like oh well how hard is this just go pick the number one team and it's like well do you sure so that that is also part of it that that man Shahan realignment. New world, 12-team playoff on the horizon, but man, it feels like the power is consolidating maybe for this season at least and and, you know, and then going forward when you're going to throw in USC and UCLA to the Big Ten and Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. Man, it, it is hard to figure out the top of those conferences, and then when you look for the same kind of power in the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and the ACC – it's harder to find that too. It really is top heavy with those top two conferences. No doubt. And I think that it's going to make the conversation interesting. Like you said, I, I think that we are entering a little bit of a world where there isn't a consensus number one team in every conference, right? For the longest time, it was Oklahoma was going to win the Big 12 and Clemson was going to win the ACC and Alabama was going to win the SEC. And heading this upcoming season, I mean, I, I don't really know necessarily what's going to happen. Okay, so I'm going to give you the first pick. And maybe it's easy, maybe it's not. But we're looking for the surest things in college football. Four points are available to the national champ if they win their conference. Shahan, where are you going with this number one pick? I'm not going to make the same mistake as I did earlier in the year in believing in Ohio State. See, guys, this is why I get mad at Ohio State, because I think that they should be the team. But anyway, oh. anyway, anyway, this is a different conversation. Uh, there is one team out of the top contenders that plays in a division that they're basically guaranteed to win. Like I am guaranteed a point pretty much based on where they play. And that's the Georgia Bulldogs. Obviously we'll see if they win the sec. Obviously we'll see if they make the playoff, which I think they're going to have all sorts of, you know, implicit credibility from being the two time rating national champions to make the playoff, even if they don't win the sec. Um, but I, I think that Georgia is the safest bet on the board because in the SEC East, I don't think that uh, Tennessee can knock them off. And if Tennessee can't knock them off, I don't necessarily see who else is going to do so. So I think that this is basically a stone cold lock for a spot in the SEC title game. This is close to, I think, a lock 
for the college football playoff just because of how they're positioned and also kind of how soft their schedule is. And from there, obviously, I have two more opportunities to earn points as well. So I'm picking Georgia number one. You know, what's crazy. The SEC East has a chance. I, I would almost say it's getting close to being a lock to have three quarterbacks drafted in the first round at the end of this month in Will Levis from Kentucky, Anthony Richardson from Florida, and Hendon Hooker from Tennessee, who is the guy that everybody is talking about now. And meanwhile, George is winning back-to-back national championship with Desson Bennett, who's going to go like in the seventh round, who's going to be like the Brock Purdy of this draft. And then next year, someone's going to get hurt. They'll be like, I guess we have to play Stetson Bennett now. And then they'll win the Super Bowl with Stetson Bennett. We'll be like, what's up with this guy? So, but that idea, I do think the Tennessee win at home against Alabama last year woke up everybody to Tennessee. But then Tennessee went to Georgia and Georgia slammed the door. And it was like, oh, and so you lose Hendon Hooker at quarterback. You lose a bunch of those receivers. And it's almost, Shahan, like Tennessee made more of a national imprint last year than they did in their own division. Because in their own division, it was like, well, you're not going to beat Georgia. And so when you look now and you say, okay, you, is Florida going to be better with Anthony Richardson gone? Is Kentucky going to be better with Will Levis gone? Is Tennessee going to be better with Hendon Hooker gone? And meanwhile... Georgia's changing quarterbacks too, but they're being Georgia. I, I just, is it Spencer Rattler? Is this Shane Beamer no, in South no, Carolina? Don't, don't, don't do this again. Don't do this again. <laughs> you're, you're like gag reflex on South Carolina is like almost as fast <laughs> as it is on Texas. It's like, nope, nope, nope. So, so the answer is like for a sure point, and And I listen back to the podcast. Can I just say, sometimes I listen back to our podcast and I think, that's a good podcast. Anyway, so I listened back to that. And you, for instance, picked North Carolina in mid-October, and you were like, it's a sure point. And it was. Yeah. North Carolina kind of fell apart down the stretch, and it was still a sure point because right. they're going to win their division in the ACC. This is interesting to think to narrow it down like this until I guess Tennessee has to stack it, right? Tennessee has to, with Hendon Hooker gone, stack some stuff here with Josh Heupel. Or we really need to see the reinvigoration, the revival of Florida with Billy Napier. Until then, you're just defaulting to Georgia and trying to figure out, is Georgia going to play Alabama or LSU in the SEC championship game? Where, on the other side, with Alabama, and you know Auburn's always a thorn in the side, and LSU, here they come. The path isn't as easy for Alabama, but for right now, for Georgia, the divisional path seems pretty simple. Yeah, and, and I think that's one thing to sort of dispel about this is that it's not just that Georgia is so much better a team than Alabama. I, I mean, I think that Georgia is a better team than Alabama, but stylistically, I think they also just play in a way that is just a total issue for the way that Tennessee plays. Like Tennessee's offense is built on spreading guys out and making guys uh, make bad decisions on the back end. And Georgia's defensive backs are just like, okay, we're bigger and stronger and better than you. Like, what's the big deal? I don't understand the problem. And so I think that Tennessee can continue to evolve from that perspective, especially up front. But they're not there yet. They are They are not. And I actually think that this is part of the reason that we're going to start to see Alabama maybe go back a little bit to bully ball after seeing the, how they played against Tennessee and try to just say, we're going to crush you. We're just, just going to physically crush you, and that's going to be our plan. 
Everybody in the SEC West is just a little scrappier yeah. than everybody in the SEC East. You look, you want to know the two teams that finished last in the SEC divisions last year, both at two and six in the conference? Oh, I know one of them. Well, one of them's Texas A&M, who locked down, who's like locking down the best recruiting class in the country. And the other one's Vanderbilt, who probably should be playing Division three sports. No offense to Vanderbilt. But I mean, like, that's the difference. And like the S- Bama and their division, they've got Arkansas. They're scrappy. They have Mississippi State and Ole Miss. They're pretty scrappy. Georgia has Vanderbilt, Missouri, like Kentucky, which is overachieving to such a high level. But they're like a consistent eight and four, nine and three team, and they are maxing out. They have South Carolina. Like it's just the paths right now, honestly, right? If you think, okay, Georgia right now and Bama, Georgia's risen up right there. But the path. That's why Georgia's number. It's not like you said. It's not a declaration that you think Georgia is this much better than Alabama. It is a recognition that the SEC West is this much deeper and much more problematic than the SEC East right now. It really is pretty stark. Yeah, and, and I think it'll make this whole conversation a lot of fun. And and certainly, I think that you have to look at the rise. I think of the SEC East. I mean, five to ten years ago, this this division was truly a joke like truly truly a joke where florida was like an average team under jim McElwain, but they kept winning the division because everybody else was even more of a joke i think that that's changing i think that that's coming along and i also think the sec west is also starting to regress just a little bit although we'll, we'll have to see how this all shakes out when texan oklahoma joins the league as well because that's going to change things but i i do think that georgia still just has really no peers and at minimum at minimum, Alabama has a peer in one of LSU or Auburn every single year. Okay, so I think George is the right pick. I honestly might have picked the team I'm going to pick too, number one, though, because I just am in on them, and I don't – we know why. But I'm thinking about gap, gap, certainty of gap through the whole conference. And it's not based on history. It's based on – what it feels like the talent is right now. And I'm going to take Florida State. Okay. And wondering what Clemson's going to be, but believing that with everything Florida State has coming back, what they've added in the portal, the jump they made a year ago, I just think they're going to make another jump. And so I'm going to stay out of the Big Ten, and I'm going to stay out of the SEC, and I'm going to go to the ACC where the fall of Clemson has created an opening. And I do think Florida State is ready to take that next step. Is this too high for Florida State in your mind? It's I probably wouldn't have taken them this high. Uh, I think that the one complication with Florida State is, again, they are a risk of being a zero point team if honestly things go chalk. Right. Like, I think that Clemson is still the favorite in that division. And if Clemson's a favorite or, or I guess actually, I guess this upcoming season, we're going divisionless in the ACC. So actually, never mind. That's less of a factor. I do think that Clemson and Florida State probably are the top two from that division. So never mind. That that actually makes me like the pick a little bit more than, than when he first said mm. it. But uh, and I think that there's definitely upside here. This is very much a high upside pick. There's absolutely a path for Florida State to be in the college football playoff. There's absolutely a path for them to be the best team in the ACC. Uh, certainly there isn't title upside uh, at this point, I don't think you could say. But, I mean, you know, again, you're, you're really aiming, like you said, we, we got 18 and 6 from the last group. I think that you're aiming to try to hit twos 
ideally with some of these picks. And I think the Florida State is not a bad place to do it. I don't think it's the most obvious high upside pick, but I do think that it is a high upside pick. And at this point in the year, with quarterback battles still going on, I'm just going to take Jordan Travis and feel good about it as Florida State's returning starter at quarterback. And so we'll snake this because we snaked it last time. And so I'm going to do the same thing in another conference, and I'm going to take USC. And I feel less certain about this because of the strength of the Pac-12 and the things that we have talked about with Washington and Oregon and Oregon State. And I think there are more things that could knock USC off Utah as Utah did last year. But if you believe in year two, Lincoln Riley year two, Caleb Williams in this, in, in this situation at USC, I just, I I like the gap and I'm just staying away from the big 10 and the sec. So was USC near the top of your list? They're definitely in my top five. Uh, I'm again, a little afraid of them because it's just such a, tough needle to thread i think for usc and honestly for the pac-12 in general i mean the pac-12 hasn't been in the playoffs since 2016 and i think there's a good reason for it i think it's because winning the pac-12 is really hard and i think it's only going to get even harder now that we're divisionless and don't have that setup so i i do feel pretty good that usc is going to be in the pac-12 title game so i think that you're basically guaranteeing yourself well close to guaranteeing yourself a point there but I mean, Oregon, Washington, Oregon State, Utah, UCLA. Uh, it, it's just a lot of teams to compete with to actually come away. Although I will say, out of all the teams that could win the Pac-12, I think that USC is the surest bet if they win the Pac-12 to be in the college football playoff. And I do think, again, with with the Power Five conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten are so strong, I do not know what to make of the Big 12. I, I, don't, even, I don't know where to go with this kind of strategy, if I wanted to stay away from the two biggest powerful conferences, I felt like the Big 12 didn't have a team. Because I think you could, again, like you said, well, you could make a Clemson case that isn't all that dissimilar from the Florida State case. And if you wanted to come in and say, man, I believe in Bo Nix in Oregon, man, I believe in Michael Penix Jr. in Washington and make this case, I think you could make it kind of like you could with USC. I don't know who to make it for in the Big 12. So maybe I'll leave that to you. And then in the other two, it's too much and there's a part of me that almost wants you to pick those teams first and then i'll come in on the backside and be like well it's either them or this guy so we'll do all that next on the college football survivor show the college football survivor show where playoff survival is always on the line all right doug and shahan back Pick one Georgia, pick two Florida State, pick three USC. It's our version of trying to identify sure things in college football. Shahan, fourth pick to you. Okay. I am going to – well, let me start here. Let me start here. This is a little bit of the safer pick, I think. I'm going to go with Clemson. I, I think you look at Clemson, what they did last year, what they have coming in. I like the addition of Garrett Riley as offensive coordinator. I think that's going to pay big dividends. I think that there is a pathway, especially in a year with a lot of transition for Clemson to be the third or fourth team in the college football playoff. I don't see them as a national championship contender, but I do see them as a team that could go on a run. Uh, They get Florida State at home on September 23rd. I think that's a huge deal. Um, They also get Notre Dame at home on November 4th. That, That I think is also very significant. There's a real chance that they split those games and 
could lose another along the way and that would ruin their playoff case. But I, I think that they still are probably the team to beat in the ACC. So their their stranglehold on the conference is not the same, of course. You know, in, in 2021, they lost the conference for the first time. I think it is since 2016, which is, I mean, that's that's a pretty impressive run for one uh, for one program to do in one conference. But I do think that they are still the team to beat here. I like that a year ago, I was like, hey, I think I believe in Clemson. You were like, I don't know. And now they just get that. They get an offensive coordinator from TCU. And you're like, man, you know what? I think I like Clemson. Yeah, I like the fact that they're going to be doing something like creative offensively, that, that they're going to like try something for the first time in like 10 years. No, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> I didn't know if it was a Texas thing. It's like a qualified guy to run the well, offense I mean, kind of come, thing, I guess. Come on, come on. You, uh, well, I will also say, you know, obviously the quarterback is also a, a Texas guy, <laughs> Kate Klubnick from Austin, Texas. But I was also the guy, I feel like, in national media being like, actually, Kate Klubnick probably isn't quite as ready as everybody wants him to be. So I don't know. It can go both ways for me. This is going up. Dabo's, Dabo's putting it. Because sometimes, right, you want the hate. Coaches usually like that. All the doubters yeah. put up the doubter stuff, but I think maybe Clemson could use a boost. So this is like CBS Sports is Shahan J. Haraja picks Clemson fourth in a draft of sure things in college football. That's the kind of thing that could go up in the Clemson locker room, I think, this spring. Pick five to you. Are we going to the Big Ten yet or no? Let's do it. Let's do it. I, I swear, I swear, Ryan Day, I swear, if you lose this game three years in a row, like you won't be allowed back in the state of Ohio. You, you won't. You won't. You won't. You just won't. You're going to have to go live, well, I guess in New Hampshire. You're going to have to be the new head coach at the University of New Hampshire. That's what's going to happen if you lose the game for the third year in a row. And it's complicated because I think that this might be the best Michigan team that we've seen. And the game is going to be in Ann Arbor. But Ohio State is, they should be better. They just should be better. You've got the best receiver room in the entire country. You've got a really good defense with Jim Knowles. Uh, you've got a crazy stable of running backs. You've got this uh, this track record at offensive line. Obviously, they're replacing a quarterback, but by the last week of the season, that better not matter. I think that also the fact that the second hardest game is not a conference game. Uh, and if they were to lose to Notre Dame, that doesn't actually impact their their path to the Big Ten title game. I think that's significant. So they have to play one game. And if they lose it for the third year in a row, then we've got much bigger problems than me not getting a point in this draft because Ryan Day is going to be blasted to the moon. It's, it's going to be crazy. So I find the Ohio State-Michigan discussion right now to be – like incredibly interesting, but just very difficult because it's hard to start it with Ohio State. And if you're a Michigan fan listening to this podcast and you say, why would anyone pick Ohio State ahead of Michigan in a draft like this when Michigan has a returning starting quarterback and Ohio State doesn't? Michigan returns Blake Corum to throw in with Donovan Edwards. Michigan gets the game at home. Michigan has an easier schedule than Ohio State does. Michigan doesn't have to go to Notre Dame in the non-conference. And Michigan has won the last two. And I think Michigan has won it physically on the field. And I think they've won it mentally off the field in terms of preparation. And I do think there is something very interesting happening in this rivalry with, as a lot, you know, I think people saw the flag that Michigan planted in the turf at Ohio Stadium last year, Jim Harbaugh put it in the Michigan Football Museum. 
And I think people were making the comparison. I think Michigan did a, a similar thing, maybe at Michigan State in the Brady Hoke era. And Brady Hoke, like, apologized. And Jim Harbaugh said, where's the flag? Put it in the museum. And Braylon Edwards on a podcast last week said, like, Ohio State's dead. Why would anybody want to go there? Michigan sees control of the rivalry. Michigan is talking. But guess what? They're talking it because they've walked it. And Ohio State is in a very unfamiliar position because what can they say? I don't I don't think they can say anything. I think all they can do is go out and win it. But Shahan, there is a mental, emotional component to that because it's a rivalry game and they have to go on the road to do it. But I think Ohio State could get all that stuff in a row and just lose on the football because the Michigan run game is really good and because J.J. McCarthy is going to be in year two as a starter and he's – they're going to dial some stuff up for uh, some stuff up for him, and because I think the overall talent level at Michigan has increased, and I think they've done some things in the portal this offseason. Why Ohio State first in a draft like this? Which is why I didn't do it because then I get to interrogate you about whoever you picked. <laughs> so, so let me let me take a step back. Right, let's let's for a second put that game to the side. Uh, obviously what happened the last two years has happened and it's defined both of the last two seasons. I, I think that you look at what Ohio state has done and what Michigan has done. And I think that outside of that one game, which is the game, I mean, it is the game. I think that what Ohio state done has done is better. I, I think that you look at uh, the way that they played Georgia versus the way that Michigan played Georgia. Michigan got blasted off the field by Georgia. Ohio State should have won that game, and they didn't, and that's all that matters. But, you know, in, in the other semifinal game, Michigan gets beat by TCU, right? Like, these are, like, we can look at this game in the context of this one game, but I don't think that you can look at what these programs have done outside of that game over the last two years and, and uh, you know, I guess the way that you'd say it, you know, the process of how you evaluate these programs outside of that game. I, I think that Ohio State's process is better. I hate having to be this guy because I hate looking at college football this way. But look at the gap in talent, right? I mean, it's number three in the talent composite last year versus number 13. And I think once we played those games against those top level teams, we saw that show up. And Michigan has a mental advantage versus Ohio State, and they've won the last two uh, years because of that over Ohio State, because of what Ohio State, I think, has struggled to do. But I don't think that, that makes them one of these top three to five talent teams just because they're able to do things that gives one of them trouble. And so I think Ohio State is still from a process perspective, the team that should be winning these games, even though they're not, which is why I criticize what Ohio State has done in those games so much. I, I think that when you you compare Ohio State to the other teams that have a chance to win the national championship, I think Ohio State st uh, stacks up much more favorably with those teams. And also, I mean, just frankly, I, I just think, you know, look, I will believe that Michigan can truly win a national championship when they do it. They haven't done it since we've had national championship games and Ohio state has twice. And so again, every, the thing that I hate about this discussion is that everything that I hate about looking at college football this way comes down to this discussion, but it's just reality that one of these programs has been a national championship contender since we've had national championships and the other has not. And I don't think two games is enough to say, well, Ohio State can't beat Michigan. Right. It's not. Right. 
But I think it's enough to say Michigan's absolutely, no doubt sure. about it, going to compete with Ohio State in that game at home. And I do think, like, my shorthand of it is two years ago, it was more football. Aiden Hutchinson, David Ojabo blowing stuff up, the Michigan run game in the second half. Last year, I thought it was a little more mental. Ohio State coverage busts, that kind of thing, right? Like, maybe not executing a fake punt the right way that it's that it wasn't as much that Michigan just did things from a football standpoint at Ohio State it was more Ohio State mistakes I think and so if that means more mental than physical I thought when it was in Ann Arbor in 2021 it was just Michigan was just like we're we're gonna do this and we're gonna be better than you at football in this situation on this Saturday in a snow globe you know with those kind of things so I I don't think it means that like Ohio State's lost I don't think it means they can't, you know, that they're going to be psyched out in this game. I do think Ohio State is taking some actual hardcore steps to try to put themselves in a better position to play their best game on the last Saturday in November. But the hard part of it, something like this is, I think what happened last year could be exactly what happens again. But what happened is Michigan got three points and Ohio State got one. They both made the playoff, right? Like who there's, there's who has a chance to compete better on the national stage and there's who has the chance to win the game and win the big 10 East and get to the, the big 10 title game. Now the big 10, as you're, we're talking about these conferences that have gone divisionless, big 10 is not yet that there yet they will be in 24, but you're also throwing USC into the mix. And so then every year, every, all of us, it's all going to be, well, pick two out of three, Ohio state, Michigan, USC. How do you think that's going to shake down? And I don't know. I'll be curious when the first time will be, that we get a Big Ten championship game that includes a team that's not one of those three. Cause we just, we could get in a round robin for like six or 10 years. It's like, oh, this year it's Ohio State, Michigan. And the next year it's USC, Michigan, you know? So I don't, I don't know, Shahan. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with the Ohio State pick. I think I've said it on here. I think it's very possible that Ohio State and Michigan are going to be two of the four best teams in the country. You are citing the talent. I love when we reverse ourselves. We're reversing the heck out of ourselves here. You're Mr. Talent Index. They don't recruit well enough to do it. What are you doing? How can you be doing that? Is there a part of you that that when we have this playoff kind of discussion, though, that it still holds you back a little bit from Michigan, even though they've made the last two plays? Well, I, I think that when we talk about this talent composite stuff, it is strictly about the sole thing of winning a national championship. I don't think any of the rest of it matters that much, right? Like, I, I don't care about the rest of it. That doesn't mean that an individual team can't beat an individual team on the field. That doesn't mean that an individual team can't win the conference, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think that there are only a handful of teams that are actually truly competing for the national championship as it stands right now. And I don't put Michigan in that category. And I think that the recruiting is part of it. Now, Michigan has won the Big Ten and made the playoff the last two years. And that's real. One thing that I want to be very clear that I'm not saying is that Michigan fans shouldn't talk a whole bunch of crap because those games happened and they mattered. And and Ohio State hasn't won a non-pandemic conference title since 2019. Right. So that's all real. Uh, I, I think for me, though, the question is, how much do you use that as predictive? When you look ahead, how much of what's happened the last two years is predictive about what's going to happen in 23 or 24 or 25? I I think that there are just things that Michigan needs to do that I think they're capable of doing to get into that national championship discussion. They They don't have to be number three like Ohio State. But, you know, I mean, look down the list, right? Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State are top three. 
Texas A&M is just like a dumpster fire of an organization. They're number four, but Clemson's won obviously two national championships. Uh, and then there's a huge gap. I mean, when you get between Clemson and Texas, like there's like a 40 point gap in the two, four, seven talent composite, which is significant. I mean, that's a significant gap. And I think that once you get to that second group, other than LSU, who is at number eight, but also like caught lightning in a bottle to win a national championship with like the greatest collection of, of offensive skill talent of all time. You're looking at programs that are really good, but probably are not truly national title contenders. Texas, Oregon, LSU, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, USC, Miami. And then, and only then do you get to Michigan. So it's possible for them to get there. I just think that we need to look more at process in terms of getting to national title level than we do necessarily just the results on the field. Because what Michigan is doing on the field is awesome and incredible in all counts, but it's only one part of evaluating this discussion. When we get to a 12-team playoff and we have a discussion like this and we're going to say, okay, you get a point for making your conference championship game, for winning your conference, for making the playoff, for winning a playoff game, right? Then I think like Ohio State and Michigan are both going to be really high yes. because we're just going to be talking about worlds where they're both in. Yeah where they both have a very good shot to get to the conference championship game. They both have excellent shots to get into the playoff. And then once they get there, they certainly could win a game or two, even if you think they're, I don't know if they can win a national title, but it is, it is a complicating factor to have two teams this good in the same division. And so it's why we waited. I don't think any of us would say, do you think Ohio state's only going to be the fifth best team in the country? I wouldn't say that. And I wouldn't say, oh, I think Michigan's not going to be in the top five. I wouldn't say that. But I'm not going to pick Michigan sixth. I'm going to pick a different team sixth because I don't want to pick two teams from the same division this high. And I'm going to pick a little program by the name of Alabama. And again, Nick Saban can hang this up. Sixth in a draft like this. This is a nod to coordinator turnover. This is a nod to a quarterback battle. This is a nod to LSU. And the reality of having that in your division. And it's a nod to Bama is not the unbeatable football monster that it was a couple years ago. But man, they're good. And I am always more inclined to take Alabama after they had a down year. So last time they missed the playoff, they won the national championship the next year. And and so you could have viewed like the first year Georgia wins the title. It's like, oh man, but Bama still made the national title game and Bama beat Georgia head to head. So they weren't really down. They just didn't win the national title. This is a down year. They're coming off a down year. They make, they make the playoff. So I'm always interested in angry Bama. It's my favorite kind of Bama. And it's just one of those. It's the kind of thing that overdogs pine for. You want to be an underdog. You don't want to have to go through the sludge to create it. But once you're there, you savor it. So whatever Saban's saying to his guys right now, people have forgotten about us. People think it's Georgia. Oh, people think it's LSU. And by the way, they still have a boatload of talent. But I don't know that they should have gone higher than this. But if we got went much longer than, than this to, to take Bama, we'd be crazy. So I'll take Alabama six. Does it make sense to you? No, it totally makes sense to me. I... This is such an interesting Alabama year. This might be, I, I mean, I'm trying to think back. This is probably the most interesting Alabama year since maybe 2015 or so. I, I mean, I think you can make an argument for even earlier than that because 
this is a reinvention. This is going to be a completely new Bama one way or another. Obviously, the the turnover on both sides of the ball at coordinator, including pushing Pete Golding out the door, who had been, I think, defensive coordinator for five years. Uh, they they pushed Bill O'Brien out and, and obviously brought in Tommy Reese, who's a, a coordinator who I don't really know what to expect from him at this point with Alabama level talent. It's, I think, going to be fascinating. Yeah, this is, this is, I think, the most interesting Alabama team that we'll have in a little while. And there is a chance that they come out and they absolutely destroy everybody and they win the national title and are the best team in the country because that's what Alabama does. That's what they've done relatively consistently over the past 15 years. So I think it's a good pick. I think that they should be ahead of LSU, who is probably their greatest competition in the West. I think the rest of the West is kind of a mess right now, honestly. Obviously, I think Alabama could lose some games maybe along the way, even if it isn't LSU. But I I think this is the right time. I think this is the right pick. But man, is it an interesting time for them to go. And I do think there's a pathway for Alabama to win its division, lose to Georgia in the SEC title game, and make the playoffs. Sure. So I don't, I don't, so that, that version of it's like, well, okay, they're not a conference champ, but they're getting me still maybe multiple points. So that makes sense to me. And then I'm going to take Michigan. Okay. So I said, I'd make you go first, but now, now that we're at this point, uh, I will take Michigan seventh. And I think we've covered the reasons for that. So that leaves three more picks for us. And we'll make those next on the college football survivor show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Shahan, pick eight and nine to you. We have two from the SEC, two from the Big Ten, two from the ACC, and one from the Pac-12 in the first seven picks here. Where are you going with number eight? I'm going to go back to the beginning of the episode. I'm going to go to Conference USA. I I think I'm actually going to do it. So there is one program that is joining Conference USA that essentially bought its way into the FBS. And I think that program just made a coaching upgrade this offseason. I'm going with Liberty. Liberty about to join Conference USA after being an independent for the past couple of years. I, I just think that they right now are in a position where they might be significantly advantaged versus the rest of Conference USA, like significantly, significantly advantaged. They bring in Jamie Chadwell as a head coach from Coastal Carolina, who is incredible. I mean, the the fact that Jamie Chadwell is not a Power 5 head coach right now is like criminal. It, it is insane that Jamie Chadwell is not the head coach of a, of a uh, Power 5 program right now. I don't know what anybody on the Atlantic coast is thinking by not hiring Jamie Chadwell. Uh, but now he's going to Liberty. He's going to have more resources than he's ever worked with in his life. Uh, they have a couple of good quarterbacks there who I think could fit his system pretty well. And I, there, there's only one other team that I think has a chance to hang with them, and that's Western Kentucky. But I think that Liberty is probably just going to be in a different place, especially, again, I, 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 I joke. Obviously, that's like a veiled shot at Hugh Freeze, who I think is still very good. But like Jamie Chadwell is incredible. Jamie Chadwell is so freaking good, and he's going to have better players than he's ever had before. And, and I'm really excited to see what he can do at Liberty and Conference USA. I would have taken Liberty if you didn't. You look at the nine teams. The only team in 
Conference USA in 2023 that had a winning record in Conference USA in 2022 is Western Kentucky. So they're the, as you said, they're the only team standing in the way. Liberty, Western Kentucky, Florida International, Jacksonville State, Louisiana Tech, Middle Tennessee, New Mexico State, Sam Houston, and UTEP. No offense, but come on, man. So I do, Liberty is so, when you try to look everywhere else, I think they are so far and above every other of the group of five conferences in terms of the surest thing at the top of a conference. There's some other good teams, but you're often like picking between maybe a top two or top three. This is a top one. And the thing that's hard about it is we haven't seen it before, but I think we know, (laughs) I think we know how this is going to go right there. I think they have a chance to outscore their conference opposition by 20 points a game. Sean, so I th- I think this is an excellent pick at number eight. You had it locked and loaded. Yeah, and and I mean I, well I, I assume that you're not going to pick another group of five team, right? Uh, I I assume that's not on your board. I doubt it. I I will say so. I I'm looking at Boise State and Fresno State in the yeah. Mountain West, yeah. right, as sort of like the class of that conference. But I'm not sure which one to sure. pick. Just like a year ago, I picked the wrong one. I picked the one that lost the sure. conference championship game, not the one that won it. So I don't know that either of them will rise to getting my last pick in this draft. So probably not. But they're the only other ones I'm even thinking about. No, I, I think that you look at the group of five right now, which, by the way, this is a testament to, I think, how good the group of five is right now and how much fun they are. But like you said, I think that there are two teams probably that you're picking between in the Mountain West, and I think there are other teams that could rise up. The American is going to be crazy next year, just totally crazy. SMU, Tulane, UTSA moving up. I, I mean, it is going to be a really, really competitive conference, I think, this upcoming year, so I'm a little afraid to to try to pick one from there. The Sun Belt, I think that it's kind of what it was last year, where South Al and, uh, and Troy are probably going to be battling it out, but same deal, same division, and I picked wrong last year and got zero points off of it. So, I, I think for me, and and I there, I will never ever try to make a bet on a MAC team because I have no idea like what's going to happen tomorrow. There, it is just the most transient conference in all of college football. Uh, so I think that for me, Conference USA and Liberty was the only one that I felt especially comfortable going with because, like you said, I think it's the only one where there's a top one right now. But now I'm going to do something insane. I'm, I'm going to do something truly oh. insane. If Texas does not win the Big 12 this upcoming year, oh. then, like, it's, it's inexcusable. Oh. It's inexcusable. It is totally inexcusable if Texas does not win the Big 12 this upcoming year. I, like, I, I truly mean that. So much of the rest of the conference, you look at TCU, you look at Kansas State, is going through turnover. There's so many, obviously, new teams coming into this conference, and I don't think that any of them should have the ability at this point to hang with Texas. Texas brings back so much on both sides of the ball. I I really mean it. If they are not in the conference championship game, it is a failure of a season. It is a total failure of a season by Texas if they're not in the conference championship game. And they should win the conference, frankly. They're not going to. I can't wait to see how they don't, because it's going to be, like every year, it's going to be a movie. Uh, But... There is no excuse for Texas to not be that team coming out of the Big 12. Because really, when you look at the Big 12, it's kind of like, man, anything could happen. But like Texas should be one of those teams that comes out of it. Steve Sarkeesian has not lost fewer than four games in a season since he's been a head coach. And if that doesn't end this year, like they should seriously consider having another coach going into the SEC in 2024. We know how hard this was for you. (laughs) 
So we uh, we 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 feel this with you, Shahan. I I do think I Liberty and Texas were the two teams I had lined up for my last pick. So I I think you have to do this, and I think you're right. And you at, at a point like this, you just have to bet on talent, and you have to bet on paper, right? And because if you went through and said, well. Who could be the TCU in the Big 12 this year? It's almost everybody. <laughs> everybody. And also, that that's trying to factor in what Houston and UCF and Cincinnati are going to look like in the Big 12. And we don't know. I don't think anyone's going to pick them to win the Big 12 in their first year in the conference. But I bet you they screw some stuff up for some people. But how could you go – if you said you wanted to pick a Big 12 team, how could you go to Oklahoma State? How could you go to Oklahoma? How could you go to Baylor? How could you go to TCU? How could you go to anybody other than Texas in April? Because it's too logical. And at some point, if something is too logical, the team with the most talent should win. Right. So especially when you have the quarterback options that they have. So I think is this is what you have to do. But I also think it's it's illustrative of what's happening in the big 12, which is you reluctantly picking the most talented team who, by the way, is in its last year in the league. And and what is this league going to look like in 2024? And it's going to look like this. It's not that it's bad. It's just that in April, we are going to have no idea right? because you're going to be able to throw like the top eight or nine teams in the big 12 in a hat and shake it up and say, it could be any of them. They're probably all good enough to maybe be the surprise team, but how could you possibly pick it? And I'm not sure we're going to be able to pick it in October, just like we couldn't last year. TC was staring us in the face last October and we didn't see it. I think that's going to be the new existence for the Big 12 when you take out the two biggest, most powerful, richest programs. And that will be both great and difficult. But also the good thing for the Big 12 is it's happening in a 12-team playoff era. If this was happening in a 14-team playoff era, Shahan, I think the Big 12 would almost be like the Mountain West. Like, man, there's going to be some good football played there, but they're not going to be in the playoff mix. This is, no, I mean, this is exactly what happened to the Pac-12 for years and years, right? For Since 2016, it's been a very balanced conference that hasn't produced a great team. Uh, and so I do think that, like you said, being in a 12-team playoff era is going to help a lot. I do think that there are going to be powers that probably emerge, but... I mean, it's it's not going to be like it was where there are one or two dominant teams in the conference. Uh, you know, even just looking right now at the the Caesars odds for Big 12 title game winner, right? Texas is two to one. Oklahoma uh, is plus 220, which like Oklahoma went six and seven last year. If you want to put money on that, be my guest. They're probably not going to win the conference. Kansas State plus 450. They're the reigning champs. They kind of have to have that. TCU plus 850. And then like, there are so many other teams that are between plus 1200 and plus 6,000, like so many teams. And, and also for some Houston is 200 to one. That is so mean. That is what, what on earth? That is so mean, but uh, no, I don't know. This is, this is the year, man. Like if Texas doesn't win the conference this year, with the talent that they have with the, the like roster that they've bought through this, like, whatever like offensive line nil thing they've got a future first round pick at left tackle and kelvin banks they've got two of the uh, 
what five best quarterback recruits of all time on the roster. They've got all these transfers. They've got all these recruits. Like, come on, man. Like, come on. If you don't win this conference this upcoming year, like, it's a joke. It would be a joke if they don't win the conference this upcoming year. And again, I am fully confident that they're going to find a way not to do it, but they have to do it. Even when you're picking Texas, (laughs) even when you're saying positive, hey, I think you're going to win the conference or else. Uh, Okay, so so that leaves for me, I think, a choice between picking a second Pac-12 team. I'm not going to pick a second Big 12 team. And we have two in the Big Ten, two in the SEC, two in the ACC. So it's between a second Pac-12 team or a team from a division that we haven't picked yet, where I think at least I'll get the point. So I'll bring you in on this discussion because you're out of picks and this is the last one. To me, that then becomes comes down to Washington in the divisionless Pac-12 and Wisconsin in the division full Big Ten because Wisconsin's always the pick to win the West. They were the pick to win the West last year and their coach got fired. But with Luke Fickle, with Tanner Mordecai, quarterback, with Phil Longo running the offense, we think there's a chance for Wisconsin to combine the best of the old and the new. But also, in the divisionless world, Washington's got a path, an absolute path to the Pac-12 championship game as well. And I don't think Wisconsin is going to win the Big Ten. And I think Washington could. So I guess I'll take Washington here. But in your mind, is that the discussion I just had? Is there even anything to that? No, I mean, I think that Wisconsin would like is a chance at one point, right? Like that is that is best case scenario is Wisconsin is maxing out at a point because they're not beating Ohio State or Michigan. And also there's a pretty good chance that they don't get that point. Illinois was really good last year and probably should have been in the title game. Purdue was the team that actually made the title game, which is very strange, honestly, to even remember. That feels like it was years and years ago. Uh, Iowa, of course, with their revamped 25-point-per-game offense is, is definitely going to be there. Uh, and, you know, so there's just so many teams competing for one point that can't even get to two points, much less three. I think that uh, that Washington has a decent chance to to net you three. Like, I think that there is absolutely a chance that that happens. They were, again, a weird game against Arizona State away from netting you a point last year and potentially having a chance to beat USC and get you a second. And if they had beaten USC, they would have gotten that third and been in the playoffs. So I don't think Washington's going to be worse next year. Uh, the, the path is going to be a little bit harder, but I like this pick. Do you have the Caesars odds in front of you for the Pac-12? I do. Winner? Yes. Okay. The... Uh, USC plus 190, Oregon is second at plus 280. Um, I'm probably not quite as high on Oregon as other people. Washington plus 350, Oregon State plus 550, Utah plus 600, and then a pretty big gap to UCLA plus 1600. Okay, so that's a pretty good, pretty lumped together yes. top five. Yes. I think we're in coin flip range on on an Oregon Washington discussion sure. here, and it and it could be that everybody gets hyped up. You know, what Michael Penix did last year was just statistically amazing, and so you, you can you can lean on that. But I, I I do think like is this great? Are we gonna start like a little Oregon Washington? Like who? Oh, they're definitely. both top ten teams. Like let's okay. Hey, see you later, USC and UCLA. As long as the Pac-12 stays in current form, 
we're going to have two teams that can compete that could you, you could see both in a 12 team playoff but that that game will be a huge game every year you could see a rematch in a Pac-12 title game and and with Kalen DeBoer at Washington and Dan Lanning at Oregon it's two coaches on the rise who are shaping those programs but also I don't know those are really good jobs I don't think they're they're going to be out the door anytime soon i is this do we have a chance that we're going to be having washington oregon discussions for the next five years at the top of that conference oh there, there's no question that these are two great programs these are two great jobs these are two great coaching staffs oregon's proven time and time again that they can replace a really good coaching staffs and hire new good coaches as well the only thing that's going to hurt them a lot this upcoming season is that I don't know how the Pac-12 did it. I swear every one of these five teams manages to play every one of the others. It's going to not be fun for anybody at all. Like, listen to this. Oregon plays at Washington on October 14th, at Utah on October 28th, versus USC on November 11th, and then versus Oregon State on November 24th. That that sucks, man. That that really sucks. And for Washington, it's versus Oregon on October 14th, then at USC on November 4th versus Utah on November 11th, at Oregon State on November 18th, and then playing rival Washington State on November 25th. So that's probably the biggest thing to keep an eye on is that these schedules this upcoming year could just ruin everything for everybody in the back 12. But if one of these teams does come through and does it, I mean, I think that Washington has as good a chance of any to be the team that does it. All right, that's our 10-team draft. Shahan started it off with Georgia. Then I went Florida State, USC. Shahan went Clemson, Ohio State. I went Alabama, Michigan. Shahan went Liberty, Texas. And I finished it off with Washington. That means we have two teams each from the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12. We had one from the Big 12 and one from Conference USA. But I think it's, it's a nice reminder that it's not just you know, Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, and everybody go home because there's no discussion to be had, which as we always talk about, which is where things kind of were when we started this podcast. And it's opened up at, at least to some degree. Even if like Georgia's ascended and seized one of those spots, there's enough of a mix um, for a variety of reasons. Coaching changes, realignment, just the rise of some teams. The rise of Georgia and Michigan, Shahan, really after being blocked for so long by Ohio State and Alabama is just really because it's not like Alabama and Ohio State have disappeared, but they've had two two teams that could not compete on their level, absolutely are competing on their level and have surpassed them in a lot of ways. But they're still both there. That is a that is so different. It is so different to where we were even three seasons ago. It definitely is. And You know, I talk a lot about sort of these top three teams that I think can truly sort of compete for titles right now. But when you look at spots like five through 20 right now in college football, it is so close. It is so insanely close. There was so much turnover at those positions last year. And I think that when we start thinking about it in the context of putting together a 12 team playoff, look, is Ohio State and Michigan and Alabama and Georgia going to be there most years? Yeah, sure. The other eight teams, I mean, we could see a lot of turnover, I think, over there. And once you get into an actual tournament and have these teams playing against each other, I I think that we might be surprised what happens next. All right, that'll wrap it up for this edition. We appreciate you guys making us part of your college football fandom. For Shahan J. Haraja of CBSSports.com, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football 
Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.